Welcome to the Redemptification Podcast, where we focus on inspiring people and communities and starting conversations around the topic of redemptification. Redemptification we define as the creative work of redeeming a person or place to its intended beauty and glory. I'm your host, John Marsh, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ty Maloney. Well, welcome to the Redemptification Podcast. It's been a little while, guys, and uh, we've been working all over. 12 cities now, lots to steward. We're traveling um, over 160 days this year um, on site, just having an incredible time. And today I've got such a blessing for you. Um, Stephen Lentz is here from the Anchor Legal Group in Virginia, and he's one of the top guys in America, authority on church law and all kinds of other cool stuff. He's written multiple books and we were having so much fun geeking out before I hit record here that I finally had to just say, whoa, we got to get this. He's got a lot of wisdom he's going to share with you and I'm grateful for him joining us today. Thanks a lot. Oh, thanks, John. Thanks for having me. So there's so many unique subjects that you have um, a, a passion for and have a lot of wisdom in. Let's talk about a little bit how how do you get here? Like how does a, a lawyer get from just going to law school to this unique place to see the world through churches and and the spiritual lens and the law? Well, you know, uh and again it's just such an honor to to be with you and and uh and hopefully meet a lot, a lot of new friends along the way. I, you know, I uh I'm actually an ordained pastor. And I pastored full time twice in my career. Uh, I joke with people that uh, I, I became a pastor because I wasn't sure I could get into heaven as a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> but but the my my love for the church uh, really comes from my heart of being in the weeds uh, and seeing uh, what hard work it is. Uh, you know, there's no there's no church in America that's successful. I don't mean successful in terms of bodies in the pew. I mean, in terms of lives that are really being changed, uh, where you don't have a leader in the middle of that, that that's making that happen. Uh, and, and so, you know, I'm, um, you know, I, I've had three major careers. Uh, pastoring was one. I, I met the Lord in 1972 in law school at William and Mary in Williamsburg. And the Lord gave me Matthew 6.33 as my life scripture. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all your needs will be added unto you. So uh, I had a, I was on the board of a mission, a worldwide mission. And uh, I had changed from pastoring and gone into the law again. And uh, my missionary uh, that, that I was on the board of, she looked at me. She said, what's the matter with you, Lance? Can't you keep a job? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I told her, and I thought about it. I thought, well, actually, I've only had one job since 1972. Mm. And that's first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else is just assignments. So how do we get here? So um, uh, one assignment was pastoring. Another assignment was uh, practicing law, you know, when I was in my uh, early 30s. Uh, and then I was drafted into uh, cable television and became part of the uh, the executive group for International Family Entertainment on the Family Channel. And I ended up uh, being the head of ad sales worldwide for the Family Channel. So I ran their offices in New York, Chicago, Detroit, LA, London, and Hong Kong, wow. and brought in the money that 
basically uh, helped the valuation for us to sell the Murdoch in the late 90s for about $1.8 billion. Uh, we incubated another channel during that time. It was called Fit TV. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was a digital channel. And we, again, the landscape in television was beginning to change. Uh, and uh, Fox Sports bought that from us, you know, a couple of years later. And then I was drafted to head up uh, Middle East Television, which was the largest superstation in the Middle East. It covered Israel and all of the Arab countries in the Middle East. So I thought it was a pretty sexy assignment. I thought, well, this is great. It'll be in the, it'll be in the Holy Land. What I didn't realize is that the operations were in the war zone. Mm -hmm. And so I had 72 employees and 32 were Shiite Muslim guards with AK-47s, guns, dogs, grenades, bandoleros. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the 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 one book that I've written called uh, Bulletproof Business Protection Strategies from the War Zone, uh, you know, is about that experience. And I learned that uh, leadership is always the problem and leadership is always the answer. I didn't coin that phrase, but boy, I learned it, you know, uh, mm. in spades when I was over there. And uh, uh, so my first day on the job, if, if you'll permit me to tell a story, just to kind sure. of set the moment, because it really, everything kind of pivots off of this thought. So, you know, I, I my first day on the job, you know, I, I go into the war zone uh, as the president of Middle East Television, I go through two checkpoints and, and uh, my head of news uh, uh, greets me and puts a flak jacket on me. Uh, and, and then uh, we go to the car and it's a Range Rover secondhand from the French embassy. And it was a uh, thousand pounds of lead and I couldn't even open the back to put my suitcase in. Huh. Uh, I get in the car and there's an AK-47 between me and my head of news. And I put my seatbelt on and he popped it. He said, we don't wear seatbelts here in case we're attacked. Now, would you like to go to the station and to the tower? And I was telling John before we got on here, I, I was like, no, I want to go home. I mean, I, you know, this, this I thought I was going to be in Israel and the Holy Land and all of this. So later that day, and the, the book talks about that, that first day's journey. But later that day, uh, uh, Salam, who was my head of news, uh, he said, we need to go meet with General Lahad, who's the general of South Lebanese Army. He said, he's in charge of everything. You're here as his guest because we, we couldn't get a visa because I was in a war zone. And uh, I said, well, I guess I should go meet General Lahad. And uh, he said, now he's going to shake with his left hand, not his right hand, because he's getting over an assassination attempt. Uh, you know, his wife is a young French beauty, and she was working out one afternoon, and he came in after a nap. Uh, and uh, his uh, her trainer was Hezbollah, pulled a gun out of the towel and shot him three times at point blank range. And he put his arm up and it came out of his elbow. And he said, so he's getting over, you know, this is still the first day. And I'm thinking, now I really want to go home, you know. <laughs> and so, so we get into General Lahad's um, uh, uh, home after another checkpoint and being frisked and everything. And I'm sitting in his living room with these floor to ceiling picture windows that overlook the mountains in South Lebanon. Uh, and it was beautiful, except for the windows were vibrating because of the shelling that was going on in the hills. And I'm sitting there way out of my comfort zone. I'm not from a military background. I, you know, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and I was wondering, gosh, I wonder what this man is going to want to talk about. Because, you know, I have a station here. I have 72 employees. 
all my employees had death sentences on their heads uh, because they worked for us who were seen as Israeli collaborators. Uh, and uh, what is he going to talk about? And so he sat down and uh, his pictures in the book in Bulletproof. And uh, uh, I brought him greetings from President Clinton, greetings from President Robertson, who was the head of uh, Christian Broadcasting Network and Middle East Television. And uh, and he looked over at me in his gruff voice with his arm in a sling. And he, and he said, tell me about Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> thinking are you kidding me i mean of all the things we could talk about you know he was concerned that clinton would either start a war to get the heat off of himself or not engage because of being accused of wrong motives and those actions in in his private office in washington dc had a ripple effect that began to destabilize a very important part of the world. Wow. Didn't end there. Later that day, we left Lebanon, went back into northern Israel. I met with the generals for the Northern Command coming off of uh, their assignments. Uh, and and um, we met in a stone uh, farmhouse basement uh, in the, the woods of northern Israel. And it was pitch dark and and uh, we drove into the clearing and and we went into the barn and the basement of the barn was a four-star restaurant it was the coolest thing ever uh yeah. you know low ceilings big wine casks everything was stone there was white tablecloths and the generals and their attaches came in off of maneuvers uh and that's where they would meet and so i'm meeting with the generals of, of the northern command to work a protocol to get my people out of south lebanon into israel in case of a firefight, which eventually we had to do that. All my people did have to escape. The Hezbollah overran our positions there. And that protocol that I set up that night is how they got out and nobody mm -hmm. got killed. So I'm meeting with them. And, uh, uh, you know, the general I'm sitting next to, I'm not kidding, he turns to me. And the first question he asks me is, tell me about Monica Lewinsky. Wow. You know, and so, uh, you know, my my conviction and my the urgent need, I believe, in this country is for leaders to understand that our actions matter. That that our actions have far reaching consequences way beyond uh, you know, our, our local audience, uh, the gang we're running around with. Uh, you know, the local board of directors you're answering to, uh, uh, people are desperate to be able to see genuine, authentic, uh, credible leaders who have character. And anything short of that has destabilizing effects that are so far reaching, it's unbelievable. And so, you know, as we go into talking about uh, what I do, which is complex business law and I do mergers, acquisitions, commercial law, residential and commercial real estate, uh, uh, estate planning. Uh, a subset of that is church is is nonprofits, and a subset of that is church. And so, my love for the church has brought that um, that skill set into the local churches. And I was telling John, I think I think we have about four thousand clients in all fifty states. Pretty much every denomination, except for, I don't really work with the Catholic uh, 
church that much yet, but um, uh, it's an honor to be able to meet with leaders of faith, whether they're commercial, whether they're entrepreneurs, whether they're nonprofits or whether they're churches, uh, to really help them structure things to do what God's given them in the assignment that God's given them. But it always boils down to leadership. That and, is awesome. And so and so my my conviction is how can I help the leader be more effective in their leadership and and, and begin to structure things properly for the next generation. It's not just about us. It's about the next generation. And so it, it all boils down to that leadership equation. That's great. I love where you're taking us. So let's dive into that. So you've got this war zone background and we say everything you're going through is part of where you're going to. God yeah. knew you being a pastor, you being in those positions of authority was going to bring you to the place now, which is a new war zone that right. some of us don't even know. We're in a war zone, the church and nonprofits, and even those of us who love places and want to build places and businesses to the glory of God have tons of things that we're, we're in, we're in war zones and we may not know it. And so right. talk to us a minute about nonprofits and churches, the challenges they have at, in, in being wise, multidisciplinary. Yeah. And, and they think we're just here to help people get saved and show up and love on people. <laughs> and there's, and there's all the economic, social, and spiritual and legal things that have to come along with that. And it, not many people have sophistication in those. That's, that's true. And that's why I wrote I wrote a handbook called The Business of Church. And all, all these books that I've written are on my website, just stephendlentz.com, S-T-P-H-E-N, stephendlentz.com. But uh, 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 I have a friend who's a psychologist. Mm -hmm. And he would work with burned out pastors all over America. And when he would work on their rehabilitation, he would ask them, uh, why did you ever get involved in the ministry to begin with? And pretty much to a man or woman, they would say, I wanted to preach the, the, the Bible and help people. The reality Eric taught me, though, was that, of course, 85% of a pastor's job is business. Hmm. And nobody's being trained in business. And so, and, and so my psychiatrist friend told, told me, he said, uh, you know, we're not wired to fail in our core responsibilities over mm -hmm. a prolonged period of time without some aberrant behavior popping out. Uh, and so, uh, you know, my publisher said, this, this book needs to be longer. It's under a hundred pages. I said, no, you don't understand my audience. This isn't a, a this isn't a treatise. This is for pastors and church board leaders to understand that at the heart of their assignment is business. And so we talk about just touch points of things that can either help your church succeed or your or your nonprofit or or ensure its demise. Uh, uh, so, for instance, we start out with the importance the importance of incorporation. Uh, many churches today aren't even incorporated. Mm. Uh, and what they don't understand is that an unincorporated association uh, exposes the pastor and all the leaders to personal liability. Mm. And I don't know about you, John, but it's, you know, it's hard enough to recruit a good leadership team without saying, and by the way, all your personal assets are now in play. <laughs> we you need know? you to personally guarantee this yeah, thing because yeah, that's hey, what you're you up know, against, right? That's, that's pretty much it. 
And so that's always an eye opener. It's like, holy cow, you're kidding. And, 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 you know, there are some folks, you know, uh, that will say, well, I don't want the state involved in my business. So I don't want to be incorporated. And I try to explain to them, you don't understand the state's already involved in your business. <laughs> that's where you get the category unincorporated association. It's from your state code. And so uh, it's the most intrusive uh, controlling state presence in, in an organization because in an unincorporated association, especially if you're a church, uh, uh, you as the leader can say, I want to build a building. You, uh, your trustees can say you want to build a building. The, the congregation can vote and say we want to build a building. Still can't do it. You have to go to the court and get an order permitting you to do that because you're an unincorporated association and the court it wants to make sure that you know what the heck you're doing. And mm. so and, and so once you incorporate, now you're under, you know, your state corporation code, nonprofit code. Some either even have a religious nonprofit code. Uh, and uh, you can make your decisions under, uh, you know, as a as a board and the congregation or board and and, and the pastor. Uh, and you don't have to go to the get extra permission. And you're being judged by good corporate business practices now, uh, not something that that a court doesn't exactly know what the heck you're doing or who you are. Uh, and so now you've got Church Inc., which is so great. You, and you were born into a battlefield yeah, without yeah. knowing it, right? The state it. and the law is a battlefield. It's like it's like you know uh, going going into a, a a you know a, a firefight where everybody on the other side has tanks, you <laughs> know, and and you decide you're going to ride a bicycle. Right. I mean, it's good to have tank. You know, that's what we're fighting with tanks here, and and uh, and so. Once Number got, ones get a cor incorporated. Get incorporated. Now the pastor, the elders, the board are not personally liable. Hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, nothing protects us from illegal activity. But I'm just saying, in the normal scheme of things, if hmm. you're operating, you know, with the business judgment rule and everything, nobody's going to be personally liable for what's happening. Then, because of the fine work you do in your organization, uh, now you can do asset protection. Where if if the God if God has called the church to have a uh, a dream center in the community, uh, have a uh, maybe a humanitarian outreach, uh, maybe a preschool or a Christian school, if all of those are sitting in the same drawer, a bad day in one of those initiatives can take down all of the property, and so we do asset protection where we spread that out and create drop down entities that. Uh, are 100% controlled by the church, but separate the liability. Now we have the opportunity to do that. You know, um, there are other things that that you know we talk about in that in the business of church, like intellectual property. Uh, you know, I've had uh, uh, charities and nonprofits who've come to me, and they've paid a webmaster to create this tremendous website, and it looks sharp and it functions and everything. And they paid the guy, and a year later they get another bill from the webmaster, and they come to me and say, "See, I, you know, we paid him ten thousand dollars for this great website. I got another bill for ten thousand dollars." I said, "Well, under intellectual property, common law." ownership whoever creates a work owns the work so did you get what's called a work for hire uh, where the owner of the work passes his ownership to you in exchange for that ten thousand dollars 
Well, no, we didn't. You know, well, you have a license then to use his work. And so if you want to use it, you have to pay him, continue to pay him. And so understanding intellectual property rights and, and that flows in churches. Churches are businesses. And it's not carnal to say that. Nor well, is it well, and we see it. They they have bank accounts. They they yeah. they, have, they get permits. They do. They. Right. I mean, it's again. It it just makes sense when we it think does. about it, right? And yet, and yet, the pastor and many times the leaders are not really, uh, you know, uh, uh, educated enough to be able to understand what the issue. Well, they is. maybe never run a business before. They love God. They they've That's been right. to seminary or whatever. So right. they've they've entered a world where they're working with. I mean, think we call it hats. Sometimes they're tenants. Sometimes they're owner stewards. Sometimes they're landlords. They wear lots of hats. They're creating content. They're yeah. doing counseling and coaching. They're operating sometimes benevolence programs and also businesses. If it's a daycare and you're charging, it's a business. And so there's right. that to recognize that not having a plan and not having protection is a plan. It's just a bad one. That's right. And and we talk about not going to war alone, you know, that you need a team. And first of all, you need to understand what you don't know. And then you need to bring people in, uh, in your world that that can help you in those areas. You know, um, many of the pastors are wonderful shepherds. They're not just good. They're, they're not good CEOs, but God's called them to be both if you're going to be a senior pastor. So, you know, there are fiduciary responsibilities that uh, you're responsible to steward the money and the resources, not just the human resources. I was dealing with the church in, in the western part of the country, and they brought me in to do uh, kind of a review, a legal review, and, and kind of help them uh, go to the next step on, on, on their, their uh, structuring. And I usually will meet with the team. You probably do the same thing. I, I want to see the leadership team and get to meet, meet them. And so we're sitting in, in a very humble boardroom. And and uh, there are about a dozen people in the room. And we're going around the room. Uh, and they're introducing themselves and what they do. And we get to the treasure. And very unassuming middle-aged lady, you know, very nice. And she said, well, first of all, I just want to thank Pastor Jones for making up the name. Uh, for giving me this wonderful job since I got out of the penitentiary. And I'm looking around the room. I'm thinking this is a joke, but nobody's laughing. So after, after the meeting, I got with the pastor. I said, brother, tell me about, you know, Sister Smith here. And he says, yeah, and she and her husband were convicted of uh, racketeering and money laundering, but she didn't do it. She was just a, a, a pawn. And, and you know, they went to they went to prison, but, but uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, she's a good sister and I wanted to show her, you know, God's love and, and redemption and everything. I said, that is a beautiful, beautiful pastoral thought. It's an awful business thought. You can't have a convicted felon touching the church funds under your fiduciary responsibility. You have your pastor's hat on, you don't have your CEO hat on, you know, and so that's the kind of stuff we deal with in the business of church uh, handbook. Just, just heads up, heads up, heads up. Uh, these are things that be just simple be, things be that'll aware. get them, get people aware because awareness drives right. behavior. 
and it'll right. it'll change the way they see things. Talk to yeah. us a little bit more about the like the sermons created and things like that. That's actually the church is some of the best content creators on the planet. They'll create a Wednesday night message and a Sunday message, and they're yeah. doing things. What should people be thinking about in the content they create? Yeah, there's a, there's a great chapter on in in the business of church called "Who Owns the Sermon." <laughs> and, and 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 it's an intellectual property uh, uh, question, mm -hmm. and the answer is a typical lawyer question, which is it depends. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and so you've really got three options on on that. Remember, common law copyright is that the creator of a work owns the work. All right. So you would think, okay, if the pastor you know created the sermon, he owns the sermon. However, there's another. Uh, employment principle that if an employee creates a work under the terms of his employment, then the ownership shifts to the employer. Uh, and so technically, if a pastor is creating a sermon uh, for a Sunday service and he's doing it on church time, on church resources, preaching it at the church, the church owns the, ser the sermon. Uh, uh, now, you know, the the church can do a license agreement of that sermon and license it to the pastor. The pastor then should pay fair market value for the cost of producing that sermon and the time and all of that. And then he can take that out and he can go ahead and sell it, uh, you know, at a conference or something like that. And he can keep the money. If he doesn't have a license agreement, if he takes that sermon out, all that money should go back to the church. Yeah. And then and then there are other clients that we have that they'll have like a 501c3 ministry uh, of their own. And so they'll create their their content outside of the church. And then they will bring it into the church. Uh, and so, again, then they would own the sermon uh, and that content. And then I have others who have crossover materials that are leadership. They're they're influenced by their faith. But they're really for a broad audience. And for those, we will do like, you know, uh, uh, the, the uh, John Marsh Enterprises LLC and, uh, you know, sell that, that content and pay tax on it. Right. But you own it at that point. So it's really thinking through in every vertical that first understanding the verticals that are there and secondly, right. having a strategy. And I guess that's a big part of what you do to come in first is an assessment to kind of say, hey, even in the mall, when you're lost, you're looking for the you are here. Sticker. That's right. And so that's <laughs> where probably you start with with the organizations you're starting with. Say you are here. Here's the core Absolutely things right. you need to get. Great. That's right. that's so great. what about non a lot of, you know, with us helping cities and every city we go in, we kind of create food and beverage because we say so much meaningful happens at the table. You decide who to marry and where to bury. And right. even when we show up in the kingdom, there's a big table. So food and beverage, we can't get people to build places without that. But then the other two parts are overnight stay, diffused hospitality and destination um, hospitality. But the third is events. And we have people of faith wanting to put on, a, have event space, but then they have this tension. Should it be in a nonprofit or a for-profit? And then there's certain kind of events that, that based on what your beliefs are, 
They don't want to have certain kind of events in their space, whether it's same-sex marriage or others. Talk to us a minute about churches opening themselves up to doing weddings for others and in this nonprofit or for-profit space. Like, what have you what have you seen and what are you how do you help structure those things where people can flourish? That's a great question. And we deal with this all the time uh, uh, across the nation. So so here's the space. Okay. Uh, First Amendment to the Constitution uh, guarantees us freedom of religion. So and if you think in terms of concentric circles where a church is in the middle uh, and then maybe a a Christian school is the next circle and then maybe there's a uh, uh, a a ministry that's the next circle and then maybe there is you know uh, outlying activity that's the next circle the farther you get out from that that center the more the issues will show up mm-hmm. uh, and then there's the personal where so there's a, a Supreme Court case that the Supreme Court's going to have to deal with this session about a, a web uh, designer who does not want to do design things for uh, for for people who are gay, and mm-hmm. at, that's actually in front of the Supreme Court right now. Mm-hmm. So let, let's table personal expression right now. Would you just, put corporate there too? As personal and corporate, they're different, right? They, or, or they are. It depends on what the who the corporation is. Okay. So so you know so if you're a church, you're guaranteed the ability to have freedom of religion based on your sincerely held religious beliefs. That's the key, sincerely held religious beliefs. So one of the things that we do, uh, you know, with churches across the country is we will meet with them. We'll go over their organizational documents uh, uh, because a lot of them are borrowed from friends and they don't even know what they have and they don't work. But is a copy of a copy of a copy yeah, or yeah, something. Right? Yeah. And, and, and so now they're not in compliance with their own government, which can be a problem if somebody, you know, if you get in a firefight with, you know, a disenfranchised congregants or whatever, and they argue that you haven't made the right decision based on your own bylaws. So number one, what are your bylaws? Here's what they say. Is this the way you do church? But I want to see in the bylaws a statement of faith. And the statement of faith you know, in the old days, we used to be able to say, I'm a church, you know, uh, I believe the Bible, but it doesn't work anymore. Okay. <laughs> that's a now, little too broad after all that, the crazy right. we've seen. Yeah. Now our statement of faith has to really talk about what are your sincerely held religious beliefs. And when you get into the subject of marriage and the family, uh, sexual identification, orientation, and sanctity of life, those need to be in the statement of faith, scripture and verse. I believe marriage is you know, institution ordained by God, scripture, between one man and one woman, scripture, uh, uh, and then define you know, what a man and a woman are. Did you ever think we'd have to define what a man and a woman are? So it's not a, it depends. It, it's basically, you know, for a- So you have to reference it really and say, you're, you're actually going back like as if a- this is why we believe this. This is why we believe this. Because, yeah, and the reason you want to do that is if you're a church, you, under the First Amendment of the Constitution, you are able to discriminate based on religious beliefs. Mm. However, you better be able to demonstrate it's a sincerely held religious belief and not just a fad, 
or a you know a preference at this point so it should be in your documents so going to your facilities use now okay so let's just talk about a church that has a really cool building right okay uh, i had a church in philadelphia and they remodeled their church and all the scrub wood and mm. naked you know uh lights and all that kind of stuff and mm. it really was a cool look and it was such a cool look that lifetime television wanted to rent their facility for a documentary they were doing in the schools so the pastor called me and says can i do that i said well brother have you created have you gotten what what i call a facilities use agreement mm. you create a document that says in essence listen this facility has been uh is is been given to us in trust by god through the faithful ties and offerings of our of our members uh uh and uh, it's primarily for our members we make it available to the community uh, uh to show god's love his concern his uh uh you know his compassion for our community however in order to use our facility you have to read our statement of faith and agree that you're not going to advocate a position contrary to it during your use. Now you're under the First Amendment to the Constitution. So I said, do you have that? He said, no, I don't have that. Said, Who would? <laughs> I, I said, if, if you don't have a facilities use agreement and you let an outside group in, you've created what's called a public use, which means now you can't say no to anybody. Oh. And so that's so, kind of like getting pregnant, isn't it? Yeah, he, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, how fast can you get me one? I said, I'll get you one in a few minutes here. Uh, uh, and and again, the statement of faith with the behavioral issues in there. And we include Galatians 5, you know, uh, adultery, fornication, lasciviousness, mm -hmm. uncleanness, wrath, sedition, strife, heresy, drunkenness, murder. We don't believe in any of that. You know? So so for <laughs> We're not promoting things, right, these things based on this. Right. So if you're going to, if you, any of those activities, that's a violation of our sincerely held religious belief. Mm. And we can say no to you. Smart. And so Lifetime Television signed, you know, the facilities use agreement. Two weeks later, I got a call from the same pastor. He said, Steve, we've got these two women in the church they're 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 gay we know they're gay we love them we're so happy they're coming we uh we're happy that they're here uh they're not in a position of leadership or anything and but you know we we're glad they're here they have a 501c3 tax exempt organization and they want to rent the facility out because they're doing a workshop for young people can we do that and i said brother same answer as two weeks ago it depends you know, if they're if they've read your statement of faith and they're going to teach kids how to use computers, how to balance a checkbook, you know, that's fine. If they're gonna yeah. if they're gonna talk about uh, uh, single, uh, you know, same sex parenting, uh, things like that, the answer is no. You know, mm. and so again, it, it, we're in the bullseye now. We're talking about a church, and, and the same thing is true for a faith based organization. If you're a five hundred one c three faith based nonprofit tax-exempt organization, it, and you have a statement of faith and you're clear on this, then under the First Amendment, you are allowed to, to uh, discriminate, you know, based on your religious preferences. Uh, you know, now let's talk about, well, what happens if the church um, wants to uh, buy a shopping center? Which, uh, you know, uh, John and I were talking about before we, we, we turned the, the camera on. 
uh, we have a client who bought a shopping center and the church is going to be the, the anchor tenant. What about all the other people that are in that shopping center? Can they discriminate, you know, based on their religious? Can their tenants be someone that has a belief they don't, right, they exactly. don't hold? Right. And, and uh, again, it depends on how they want to play that out. You know, they can be just a flat out commercial uh, landlord and uh, welcome the world in. And not discriminate uh, to anyone, right? right. Well, but under landlord tenant law, you the landlord still can can discriminate based on uh, the kind of business that's coming in. Maybe they don't want to have a bar. Maybe they don't want to have a massage parlor. Right. Uh, you can you can say we just don't, we're not going to have that in our shopping center. It has nothing to do with their statement of faith, and you know it's not it's not a discrimination issue, you know, but. But if they had a type that they would put, like, say, hey, I'd love to have a restaurant here, but then you get a same-sex couple want to come and start the restaurant in their space. Right. And But they, again, uh, it, it may not be under the same government. You know, so in other words, that's where we you need to understand is the church having that, that uh, extra initiative as an evangelistic tool? Right. Or is it a direct expression of the church? So I have a client uh, uh, in a large, one of the major metropolitan cities in America, and they've got, I think, nine campuses, and they own a coffee shop. And um, the coffee shop is a, they, they bought a building in a blighted area of their city, kind of what you've been talking about, the kind mm -hmm. of work you do. Uh, and uh, now that that whole area is around a major, uh, hub. It's a, a near uh, the the major train station, and the whole area has been improved. Uh, so at street level, they have coffee. In the basement, they have a meeting area for their their church. In the second floor, they have their church offices. And so the issue is, well, you know, what is the governmental, you know, profile of that kind of an operation? Uh, some of it comes down to property tax. So the city wanted to tax the entire building, you know, as a, a commercial entity. And we were able to negotiate with the municipality and say, well, no, actually, you need to bifurcate this tax moment. Street level, coffee's coffee. It's retail. There's nothing spiritual about it. Go ahead and tax it. Second floor, nonprofit tax exempt purpose uh, as a church, bottom floor, Nonprofit tax exempt purpose for church meetings, and so we're able to negotiate with with the with the municipality. They're only taxed a third of that, you know, and and uh, you know they can invite people into the church uh, under their statement of faith. They, but they can't do that for selling coffee mm. because that's that's not a tax exempt protected you know activity. So the point is, there's lots of ways to. Um, uh, approach God's calling to a a nonprofit tax exempt entity, including a church, when it approaches its community. But that's where the board has to decide: Are we going to be a faith based operation or not? Employment law is very important. So again, if you have a statement of faith and you're a faith based organization. Uh, uh, and someone wants to uh, work for you and, and they say that their, you know, a sexual orientation is in conflict with what, what you believe. Mm -hmm. If you're a faith-based organization with a statement of faith, you can say, I'm sorry, you can't work here. 
you're discriminating for employment reasons under the First Amendment to the Constitution. That's a big deal. And that's the same way for Christian schools that are directly run by, by uh, churches. Uh, and we have all different flavors of that around the country. So um, uh, the issue is always going to come down to what are your core beliefs? How are you expressing them? And how are you actively, uh, consistently applying that as people come in your doors? That's, that's, you have to be nonprofit status though, right? 501c3. This is, you can't be a business, you know, today, many businesses work from a statement of faith that they're at the intersection of purpose and profits like Chick-fil-A. Right. That doesn't apply to them, right? No, nah, no, it really wouldn't. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, again, but, but then you have Hobby Lobby, which was a major Supreme Court case where they said, we don't want to uh, invest in abortions, mm-hmm. you know, in entities. And, and they got sued for that, for being discriminatory. And the Supreme Court supported them. Uh, however, you know, it cost millions of dollars to get there. <laughs> right. That wasn't and, like just and, a plug and play. Yeah. Yeah. And so most most people don't have that kind of cash to be able to defend themselves. So, uh, uh, but I think, you know, if you're a faith-based nonprofit tax exempt entity, then, you know, that if it's a foundation or it's a, uh, you know, uh, it, again, it, 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 you can have a, a nonprofit tax exempt entity that's primary purpose is religious mm-hmm. or educational or humanitarian, and it can be under a statement of faith. That's okay. And you can operate the way we're talking about with the values that matter to your, your community. Uh, but once you start rolling out the concentric circles, uh, it's very important that everything's tied together properly. And that's pretty much what we do across the country. Well, what a great uh, thing to add value to folks to understand, because to be honest with you, as many churches as we've seen and people that we've met, I haven't seen a lot of sophistication in this space. And so it's incredible that you're a resource to do this. Let's land the plane on a couple of things. First, we'll include all your books and, and links to your website in the show notes so everybody can get to those. And there's another book he wrote about the leadership um, style of of H.J. Hines. And so that's incredible. We had um, had a, a little bit of talk about it. He said he's a John Maxwell, the 1800. So I know all you folks that love leadership will want to do that. But let's ask you three final questions to kind of land. And then we'll also put your links to um, to your website. And I encourage you, if you have questions, reach out. And um, we have enough people that listen that have complex things going on and, and uh, leading organizations that I know it's going to add value. So who do you know that we should know? Who's doing great work in the world that you say, y'all guys ought to know about these folks? Uh, I was just speaking at a conference in Dallas last week in the International Christian Counselors Institute. And uh, there's a a man named Nick Vojacek. And let me uh, get his his flyer. It's a, I guess, a, maybe a, you know, a European name, but it's V-U-J-I-C-I-C, Nick Voyager. Okay. Okay. Uh, he has a ministry called Life Without Limbs, mm. and he has just a torso. He is oh, a yeah. torso, and he has spoken to, uh, uh, I think, 
uh, hundreds of millions of people that have made decisions for the Lord through his ministry. Hmm. And uh, he is just probably one of the most engaging people that I've ever met uh, uh, because, you know, it's... <laughs> First of all, he's hilarious mm -hmm. uh, and, and and so disarming. And in uh, uh, you know, he said he said, "I'm so excited right now. I can't feel my legs." Well, he didn't have any legs, you know. What I, mean? I mean, it's things like that. I mean, but but he he is a leader, a leader mm -hmm. of leaders, and uh, uh, I think the world of him. And um, uh, there was uh, another couple, Gary and Barb uh, Rosberg. R-O-S-B-E-R-G. It's the Rossberg Group, and they have a tremendous ministry of marriage counseling. Uh, and uh, highly recommend that. Great. Uh, so, yeah. Those are two great recommendations. We always love to hear new folks doing good work in the world. Yeah. Um, so what have you read recently or in the past that impacted you? said, if, if I was going to make a recommendation, I recommend, other than your books, because we're going to get them to read those. Yeah. But what would you say? You've got to read this. Yeah, there there is a there is a new book out that I think uh, is so timely. Uh, let, let me pull the title up for you here real quickly. Um, it's called the Leadership Avalanche. Ooh, I haven't heard about that one. Great, the and, Leadership and Avalanche. Avalanche and. Uh, let me see if I can get the actual. Uh, and basically, um, uh, the author, my daughter turned me on to it. Um, and she's a counselor. And um, the author had a, a vision uh, as he was sleeping of a beautiful snow um, area. Uh, and uh, beautiful slopes and snow and the, the snow was falling uh, and 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 then uh, people were shooting trying to cause a small avalanche to prevent a big avalanche but it didn't work and so eventually there was a big avalanche that wiped out the village underneath uh, wow. and and all the people and he said in his book he said the Lord showed him that the the village of below is like today's church and it's content and it's warm and it's, you know, uh, everybody's happy and friendly. Uh, the snow is like the false teachings mm. that are flowing through the body of Christ because they have, uh, they have uh, really no truth to them uh, that, you know, even even a rotten yard looks good when it's it's covered in snow, you know. <laughs> covered in snow, he said. But he felt like there was an avalanche coming, uh, uh, you know, because of the false teaching that was going to endanger the church, uh, and that he feels like there needs to be an awakening uh, in the body of Christ and in the leaders to stand up, uh, you know, for. Uh, you know, uh, the principles that matter. I'm actually teaching this weekend in Sunday school on Amos, and, and he talks about the plumb line, you mm -hmm. know, and how uh, the plumb line is a standard. God has a standard. And, you know, his delay is not approval. Mm -hmm. uh, and that so, is strong. You know, so, 
uh, there's a time where, you know, in Amos, he says for three transgressions and for four, and then he's going to judge. He talks about six heathen nations, and then he goes to Jerusalem and Israel. He says for three transgressions and for four, I'm going to judge my, my own people and hold you to a higher standard. And so what, it wasn't like God hadn't warned them. They just weren't listening. Right. Yeah, and, and the delayed obedience is disobedience. Right, that's right. The story is to be obedient. Well, that is powerful. Can't wait to read that. And the last one, what have you done that we should do? What kind of experience or trip or thing did you do that you said, this marked me, this is something you should do? Well, I think, uh, I, I, again, it's hard to do today, but I think getting out of your circle mm. and meeting and meeting new people that aren't part of your group. Are, is very important because it's so easy to get uh, insulated to the point where we think what we're hearing is all there is. And, and you know, I, I think it's doing us a disservice, you know. And so uh, uh, all the time I'm making new friends. I'm mean like you. I mean, I'm just so thrilled, John, to meet you and your world and uh, uh, because there's there's a big world out there, uh, and and we need to be able to embrace it and understand the different facets of of the body of Christ, of commerce, different ways to look. There there are many right ways to approach things. That is the standard as far as his 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 plumb line goes, but his methods change. The message never changes. But it, methods change throughout history, you know, how he's going to deliver that message. And uh, we just need to get out, get out more and, and meet new people. So I would say, who have you met recently that you didn't know? Right. You know, my, I ask the same 10 questions when I'm interviewing people and spending time with them to learn from them. And one of them, the, the question that I think has probably delivered the most good in my life is, who do you know that I should know? Yeah, that's great. And would you introduce me? And it's taken me all over the world. Oh, that's wonderful. And so it's great to meet you. I can't wait to share this with um, with our audience. And thank you for all you're doing to charge hell with a squirt bottle in the legal world <laughs> and uh, pushing the things you do. So thank Thanks, you man. and look forward to getting to meet you face to face sometime soon, Lord willing. Hey, it's my honor, and I'm going to get to another appointment, but uh, please, uh, you know, let me know how I can help you or anybody that you're resourcing, because uh, what you're doing is important and really, really helping people to take ground. So thanks for all you're doing. Have a great day. Thank okay. You. Bye, brother.